0: Uh, around the corner, almost here, technology. And today I'm speaking with Chris Kitsie. Um He's associated with FlashCoin.io and a couple other projects. How are you doing, Chris? Doing
1: great, Richard. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, can you give uh, listeners a, um, you know, a breakdown of what you do and um, the companies you're involved in, because the structure is a little bit more complicated than I made it seem.
1: Yeah, well... We'll start with my background I've been doing tech companies for 30 years and um, there are a number of companies that I've been involved with here that are still you know operating and whatnot um, some of the companies have been sold and and you know are long gone one was called zoom.com with an XXOomcom which was a company I started in um, 1996 took it public in 98 and then sold it to NBC the following year um, so that's that's a community website and so my background has been in media and communications, uh, electronic media, for almost 30 years. And so back in CD-ROM days and everything else, way before um, the internet was even around. <laughs> so um, the companies that we've got now, we've got one company called Unseen.is, and it's a, um, it's a company that actually was the one where we started figuring out about Bitcoin because it's based in Iceland. And when we first started over there, we're offering private and secure communications. It's email and a chat and calling application. Um, and it's, you know, completely independently owned. It's not like it's owned by Microsoft or some big company or something like that. It's all small, independently owned right. and operated. And we operate it to make it private for people. So we provide a high level of privacy and security. And so what ended up happening is we we, we were in Iceland at our data center, and when we first got there, it was basically half empty. And then the next time we came back, six months later, it was full. Hmm. And I asked the guy at, uh, at the Thor Data Center, I said, well, what is, where did all these people come from? He said they're all Bitcoin miners. Uh. And the reason they're mining Bitcoins in Iceland is because I, electricity <clears throat> excuse me, is so cheap that they actually have three one-mile-long aluminum smelters in the country, and they haul in bauxite ore from around the world and smelt it in Iceland because the electricity is so cheap. Wow. So it's uh, it's pretty – it's like industrial-scale, volcanic-powered, you know, completely green if you're into that kind of thing um, because all the all the power just comes out of the volcano. Huh. And so like our rack there, just to put it in perspective, our rack there has um, – 60 amps and it's 240 volt DC power so it's a it's a pretty peppy rack as far as the power in California for example our racks here come with about 15 amps and 110 volt AC wow so you know it's a much different thing you know you can really you can load up your rack in Iceland and here in the US it's like you put in five or six servers and your rack is basically maxed out for power unless you want to pay a lot of money to put in more power so it's um, so that's how we got into this. We started looking at the coins and we said, well, what's an interesting application? And we like Bitcoin a lot. We like um, the crypto coins a lot. We think that there's a bright future for crypto coins. But we started looking at it from a use case basis. And the first thing that we looked at was some kind of a gold-backed product. And we decided, and we'll eventually talk about that in a few minutes, but okay. basically the conclusion that we came to was, the first product that we wanted to do, because of all the licensing and regulatory issues, and I talk about licensing. It's not like technology licensing. It's like getting a license from a government to have a, the ability to offer some kind of a service. And <clears throat> the money business is a very, very regulated business. So we looked at this, and we said, let's find an application where we can really build some cool technology That solves a real problem, which is in the advertising and the ad blocker space. And, you know, what are the characteristics of this kind of a coin? Hmm. So we started looking at it. And your first choice when you're looking at blockchain is you want it to be public. In other words, like Bitcoin, so that everyone's doing mining and everything else. And that's how you secure the blockchain and distributed. Or is it going to be a private blockchain that's just going to be um, a permissioned blockchain? Well... The performance criteria that we wanted was to complete a transaction under two seconds. And basically to do that, you can't do it with a distributed model. You have to have centralized. So what we did is we built a coin called Flash. And it's now, we actually moved it out of the U.S. and put it into Canada. We've got over 50,000 people who've gotten wallets for it. Hmm. And um, so it's been in a test mode. And basically what we did is we started a crowd sale on Bittrex. Uh, We did a pre-sale prior, which was only people outside the US, and that crowd sale, the the pre-sale, generated around uh, 101 Bitcoins, and we took 5% of the blockchain, and we're going to give that to those people. But what we ended up doing is, when we we did the crowd sale with Bittrex, we said, you know, one of the issues that you have is how is it that people are going to trade this private permission blockchain on an exchange? because if you've got 900 billion coins which is what we had that's one of our use case requirements is coins are cheap and plentiful well that's you know kind of at odds with what people are looking for on an exchange they want something that's going to go up in value they're right. looking for something where you know you can buy something and it's a dollar, 2 dollars, 5 dollars and so when you look at the ad market it's like a CPM right cost per thousand ads you don't sell an individual ad you sell a thousand ads So what we decided to do was to create a counterparty asset called mega and mega is just like it implies it's mega flash and it, and it's a million. The initial rate will be a million flash coins per mega coin. Okay. And it's just like the difference between a penny and a hundred dollar bill. Right. Right. So if you want to, if you want to trade these things or do things with these coins in volume, if you're an advertiser, you don't want to go out and collect a bunch of pennies you want someone else to do that for you and then you want to just pay with hundred dollar bills so that's the idea behind flash and mega flash flash is the penny and it's a very high performance private blockchain and then you've got mega flash which is the thing that's going to at some point in the future have an exchange now we're not going to immediately exchange flash for megaflash. Uh, there are a number of reasons why, inside the U.S., at least. Outside the U.S., we're going to be able to do a lot more things like that um, after the crowd sale. The U.S. has a, is a very difficult regulatory environment. And <clears throat> what you're hearing me talk about here, you know, most of these so-called ICOs, we don't call our thing an ICO. We call it a crowd sale because we're actually just – it's like a way for people to donate money to support our project and get coins. Okay. And so really this is, it's, it's just like a Kickstarter. You know, you're selling initially, you're giving people a very good price, and what's happening is they're going to be able to get in, collect a few of these coins, and then help us out, give us feedback, use the product, and let us know what we can do to improve. And basically it's a way to get some coins and help us out. That's really what we're looking at. Now, when, well, you, when you look at the – go ahead, Richard.
0: Yeah, the- I'm not sure if I understand exactly what FlashCoin uh, does and, and, you know, Mega obviously is based on that. But, yeah, can you break that down? What is, what's the purpose of FlashCoin? What will the tokens do? What, where does their worth come from and all that? Right. So the, the, the
1: purpose of Flash is to be a social media and advertising coin. And what this does, let me give you the first use case. The first problem that everyone has, who's a publisher online, is ad blockers. We have a website, about one-third of our traffic is now ad blockers. So these are people come to our website, they hate the ads, they turn off the ads, and they come to our website, use it, use all the resources. We don't have any way to get any money. We've got people who are you know, single moms, we've got people who are independent journalists and stuff, and these people don't have a way to get paid on that. So what's happened is, their salary has gone down because we can't afford to pay them as much as we could if we were able to monetize the whole thing. Hmm. So really what you're looking at is a subscription model for this. Now, how do you use the coins for that? Well, the the short answer is what you're gonna do is when people come in with an ad blocker, they have basically three choices. They can either watch the page with the ad blocker turned off, that's fine, because then we're getting the ads and people get paid. The second choice is they can pay with a subscription, and they can pay with Bitcoins, they can pay with dollars, PayPal, credit cards, those kind of things. The third way, and this is what uses the flash coin, is to give people a wallet and say, you don't want to pay us money, but you know what? You can spend your time, and you can help us build uh, our website and our network, and every time that you invite somebody, you're going to get a coin. Every time that you share a story with somebody, you're going to get some coins every time you post a comment or read a story or whatever you're going to get coins and when you collect enough coins we're going to turn off the ads and we'll just charge you by the page we can do that because it's a very high performance fast performing blockchain so hmm. that's the that's the first use case for flash now how does the value uh, proposition work for the users well it's pretty simple because People who are going to want to do promotions, they can buy the coins and they can offer these coins to people and say, hey, come fill out this form for me and I'll give you 200,000 flash coins. And that will turn off your ads on these 10 sites. So, what you have now, see the, the idea here is that you have something that actually has value to advertisers. It's of limited value to the users, so that, in other words, the flash coins themselves. Are something that people are going to want to get and they're going to want to collect them. And we've already seen this. We've got, like I said, 50,000 people with wallets. We added about 250 uh, new wallets a day right now. That's the level that we're at. And this is just running on two sites. Hmm. So when we finish adding more things, so for example, if you sign up for an email newsletter and you think about how many websites have email newsletters and you bundle the wallet with the sign up for the newsletter now all of a sudden the publisher has a huge advantage they have a direct communications pipeline to their user not just through email but directly on the desktop <clears throat> and then the second thing is they're able to offer an incentive to get people to come to their website come to my website mm-hmm. do something that's valuable to myself or to the you know the website or to the other contributors on the website and get a reward And that is something that eventually they'll be able to monetize and turn that into Bitcoins or whatever. That's one of the choices. And the other thing that we can do is we can actually add that right into the incentives that we pay on some websites where people are being paid to post. They're already getting a 1099, and that can be just converted right into fiat by the website. Website can do that. That's completely legal.
0: Okay. So as a um – a website user, I can either pay for an ad blocker or I can get rewarded in FlashCoin for allowing the ads to either be there or not, or is it only to, to uh, do I have to consume the ads in order to get FlashCoin?
1: Nope. You don't have to consume any ads to get FlashCoin. What you're going to do is you're just going to go and use the site and share it with other people or okay. do things that are considered desirable. So that is, you know, every time you share a story, see, this is the thing that we learned about the ad blockers. We spent a lot of time looking at the ad blocker market, Mm. and we surveyed about 3,000 people several months ago. The thing we discovered was the ad blocker people are actually a very valuable part of your audience. You don't want to just completely go medieval and just say pay or die. (laughs) You don't want to do that with these people. They're very valuable people, and they're good people, too. I mean, I have emails from people, hey, you're, I just, I love your site. I just can't deal with the ads anymore. And quite frankly, I understand that because what's happened is the ad rates, the CPMs have dropped, and this is because fundamentally the advertising online ad, banner ad market is dying. And we think it's going to start moving to a subscription model, hmm. and then people are going to have two choices of how they pay. They either pay with their behavior, which is to do things for the website, or they pay with money. And some people, they just want to pay with money and get it over with, and that's fine. But a lot of people are like, don't want to pay with money. Why would I pay for this? I should be able to get it for free. But they also understand a very real concept, which is the difference, you know, the concept of gain and loss. People, if they do something, if they gain somewhere, they have to lose in some way. Just like if I do work for someone, you're going to, you're going to pay me for doing yep. the work. Right. So it's the same thing. Like we have to do that with all of our contributors at these different websites, or they're going to get some other kind of a benefit. For example, they're going to get exposure and, and so forth and so on. But that's how the that's how the flash coin is initially going to work. Now you think about the other use cases that you have. This use case right here alone is probably good for up to 50 million wallets in the first couple of years. Now, why do I say 50 million wallets? Well, there's one partner of ours, and I can't mention their name right now. They get about 4 million. They do email newsletter signups for, uh, for small websites, and they are signing up around 4 million people a month. So all you do is bundle a wallet with that kind of thing, and our belief is that this kind of wallet is going to be part of every single website signup system in the future. So if you get a, if you go to a website, if you sign up to leave comments, if you sign up to do anything, receive a newsletter, all these different these different things that you can do with a website, okay. you're gonna you're gonna get a wallet bundled with it, and as soon as you do that, you're gonna start getting coins, and then you're gonna say, well, what can I do with these coins? Oh, well, first of all, I can share them with a friend, so I can send them to somebody else. Let's say that I go to a website and I like what the contributor is doing on that website, I now take my coins and I say you know what I'm going to send you some of these coins well the website that they write for might say you know what we'll redeem these coins and this person can get paid cash
0: mm-hmm. because I already have okay. a
1: 1099 relationship with this person
0: Okay, guys right? right. so
1: now what I'm doing is I'm creating this ecosystem see the tricky part here isn't so much the technology
0: huh. it's
1: the compliance the compliance is not an easy thing
0: when you say when you say now, compliance what do you mean?
1: Well, I mean the legal compliance of offering and transmitting value. If you're offering something that's a free giveaway, as soon as it has value, you are falling under the domain of money transmission laws. So the question is is where is the value? Where's where where are the loopholes that you can, you know, legally live in? Well, if you look at coupons, you notice the fine print on the bottom of the coupon it says Actual cash value less than one twentieth of a cent, hmm. well, what has happened over years has been that the state regulators have said it's not money because it has no value because it's less than a penny. right That's how they get away with it that's It's very similar to what we're doing. What's the value of this? Well, it's very low. you know if the coins are always given away for free, they have no value. If the coins as soon as coins can be redeemed for something, the website can say. I'll give you this much value, Mr. Person on my website, because not only are you giving me these coins, but you're also doing this thing for my website. That's, that's something that's going to allow you to do this legally. Now, ultimately, once the coins start to get a lot of value, you're gonna fall under a different kind of a regime. And the regime is you need money transmission licenses or a bank to be your partner. That's where it goes. Once the thing gets enough value, it's just like Bitcoin. When Bitcoin started out and you could buy a pizza for 10,000 Bitcoins, right? Right?
0: Yeah. what's the
1: value of an individual Bitcoin? It's nothing. Yeah. It's less than a penny. So what's the value of a Bitcoin? So that's why everybody left it alone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now Bitcoin's worth $1,000. Now people are like, I need to get your name, address, phone number, and see your driver's license. You know, they, they basically want to put you in the money prison. That's what happens. As soon as you go over a certain amount of value, there and the reason it's a legitimate reason, you know, they're concerned that people are gonna get hurt. And the job of a regulator is to watch out for consumers. Right. That's what they all do. And and quite frankly, there are a lot of good people out there, a lot of the regulators are good people. Now, you start looking at what it is that people like about Bitcoin, and one major thing that people like is its free range. That's what they love about it. So that's the trade off is that as soon as something starts to get more value, it you know, it's gonna fall under regulations. That's just the reality. Now well, something so like Bitcoin, it's go ahead.
0: Yeah, I don't want to take us away just yet from from Flashcoin, but quick question about it. Right now are people able to uh trade Flashcoins that they have are people speculating in it? Does it have enough value at this point or is it not um you know, on a public blockchain where you can buy and sell flash coins?
1: Well, here's the thing. We don't have any public place where people can buy and sell the the, the flash coins. But if people collect enough of these coins and they do something, a trade with one of their friends or something, I need some flash coins for a project or whatever, whatever people do privately, we don't know about, and we can't tell you you can't do it. Right. Okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is there will be a time when the mega coin gets traded and at some point the mega coin will be redeemable into flash and that's the it's going to happen first and foremost outside the US that's the first place that's going to happen and we'll end up having to lock down some some features in the US so you know what I would tell all your listeners if you're in the US go get some flash coins now um, you know in the future you may not be able to get them in the US unless you're doing it through one of these websites that's the that's the, the short answer okay the longer answer is um, you know where does the redemption come in with these things you know if you look at examples like H green stamps and you know if you're not old like me I'm 57 People might not remember S&H green stamps, but you used to go to the grocery store and you'd buy, you know, $50 worth of groceries, which actually was a lot of groceries at the time. Right Now it would be like less than half a bag of groceries.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and what would happen is the S&H stamps would just start spewing out and you'd get this giant pile of S&H green stamps. And what people would do is they'd collect them, lick them and stick them into booklets. And then they would go to the S&H redemption center and redeem it for a toaster. Huh. Or some kind of physical item, okay? okay? Never for money. As soon as you offer redemption for money or something uh, that has this kind of transmittable value, you are in the realm of a regulated business. So that's the loophole okay. that S and H use. Is a closed loop system.
0: Gotcha. Yep. So you're intent- so that, you know. So you're saying FlashCoin and MegaCoin for sure. At some point. In the near future, will have enough value where it's going to cross over into this um, this transmission of value system and can be become regulated.
1: At some point, if if it's successful, I mean, you don't know if it's going to be successful or not, right? right but if it's right. not successful, no one's going to care. If okay. it's successful, then you you are hopefully going to, you know, accrue the people who are actually putting things into the network. Because keep in mind, if someone does something, they're going to get paid. That's how Flash works. If if someone Wants to get something of value, they're going to have to do something to unlock the value. So, for example, let's say I go visit someone's website and they have a fountain on the page, right? So, what did I do? Well, I went and visited this person's website. I may have looked at some ads or whatever, and I got paid with the fountain on the page. Okay, so I'm doing something and getting something in return. That's a very important concept. And if you look at Bitcoin, they do the same thing. I mean, you know, you don't get Bitcoins for free, you have to go mine them. Yeah. Someone had to do work, and it's it's hard work. It's expensive now. It takes a lot of electricity and professional management and whatnot, and that's how Bitcoins come into existence. So it's a very similar kind of concept. Is that Instead of mining, because we don't have mining, we don't have that concept with Flash. The securing of the blockchain is done in a different fashion. It's centralized with an election consensus process. What that allows us to do is to speed up the processing, So we don't have to sit around and wait for an hour for someone to settle six different, you know, confirms, and then you can trade the coin again.
0: Hmm. This is
1: in two seconds and you're done. Now, it only works when you have something that's of low value, right? And it works when you have something that has, think about how people can use it. I could take an individual flash coin and put it in an email and sign the email, digitally sign the email, and then you know exactly who that email came from.
0: Right. Right, okay.
1: Right. That's another that's another that's a great use case for Flash, because as soon as the email comes in, you can validate it. You can sign the thing in less than two seconds. So now you've got a system where you can and this is what we're hoping developers are going to work on. You know, our job is not to develop this email stamp system. Our job is just to run this blockchain and, you know, do it in a legal manner so that the people who are developers don't have to even think about that. They can go and build their own their own application. The nice thing about the blockchain technology from a developer point of view,
0: okay. if
1: I write uh, an application, I can put a fee split right into the use of the application. So in other words, let's say I put up a stamp and I decide the stamp value is 10 flash coins, which is you know, 0.001 cents, just as an example. Well, I can give myself, I can say I'll, I'll, I'll charge a fee of two or three flash coins which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you start adding it up with millions and millions of emails every day, right. all of a sudden it becomes a very nice business for the developer. That's the idea. And they would then take those coins and they would collect them and they would take them on exchange or they would go and convert them with uh, you know, some other private party who wanted to get those coins.
0: I see. Okay. So right yeah. now, um, where can people open up a wallet and where can they acquire a flash can they trade into it from another cryptocurrency or do they have to take actions like you say on certain websites or how do they get them
1: yeah right now they're not going to be able to well well there's there's two ways to get flash coins right now one is through the crowd sale and that's with bittrex and the other way is to go and do things So we don't have, there's no mechanism right now, and and the way it's going to work is once everything is out with the crowd sale, what's going to happen is everyone who comes into the crowd sale is going to go to an exchange, and they're going to be able to buy the coins if that's what they want. They'll buy them from somebody else. So really, they won't be issued by us. They'll be, what we're going to do with the coins is the rest of the flash coins are going to be given away. There are 900 billion flash coins, so there's tons of these things. And they're all going to be given away, and the idea is build this thing out to a network of 50 million users. That's the first goal. The second thing is, what's the business model of the wallet? Well, once you have someone with a wallet, the first question people ask is, how can I get more of these things, and what can I do with them? Well, the answer, I already told you about how people can earn more, and I told you some of the future potential redemption paths that people can have. Mm-hmm. But there is one other very important thing, which is the difference between flash and mega flash. Mega flash has only three hundred thousand coins it's a counterparty asset it's traded as a on the exchange it's going to be traded on the exchange and it doesn't have any immediate redemption ability with with flash. We're going to give people flash coins along with their mega flash and it's going to be decided right at the end of the of the of the crowd sale what people are going to get, but it's going to be something very nice and attractive. People are, I think, going to really like it a lot. So that's um, that's how you can get the Flash coins. You can go and sample it right now. You can go and go get a wallet at FlashCoin.io, Okay. and you go take a look at that, and you'll see, you know, this is how the wallet works. It's a web-based wallet. We don't have a – currently, we don't have a standalone, you know, QT wallet type of thing. It's all done um, it's all done HTML five. But okay. the but the mega coin, the mega flash coin is because it's a counterparty asset, you can use a variety of wallets, you can use indie square, you can use, you know, all these different things.
0: Um what can you can you talk about the crowd sale? What does that look like? What's involved? What is it I mean, what is a crowd sale and how does that work?
1: Well, crowd sale is where you basically, um, you know, it's like a Kickstarter in that you're taking some amount of the, of the blockchain and you're basically selling it off as for donations in return for donations Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, and then people can decide what they want to do with this. They could develop a project Um, because we actually already have the thing up and running and we've actually got it working on a couple of websites. They can go and look at, One of the websites is scene.life. And we don't have everything hooked up there yet because we've got, you know, when you get a new account, you automatically get a wallet with 10,000 coins. So that's one way that people can go and get coins. But the idea is that as soon as people can start um, sharing stories and doing things with the coins, uh, doing things on the website, Mm -hmm. they'll get a coin reward. And that'll be, initially, it'll be from the site itself. And um, we have another website, which is an alternative news website called Before It's News, which is uh, proudly one of the fake news websites, it actually <laughs> tells the
0: truth.
1: <clears throat> and it actually tells people the truth, but it's got about four million people a month coming by, and um, you know there are about a thousand people a day who sign up for email nice. on that site. So it's you know that is going to be a very nice test bed for us to uh, to get going. But the idea is, of course get other websites to do this. So the first thing we're doing with Before It's News is we're going to try and solve their their ad blocker problem and give people that third alternative, right? So alternative one is turn off your ad blocker. Alternative two is pay some amount of money per month for a subscription. And it'll be not just for this website, but it'll be for a whole group of other websites as well. And the third alternative is get a wallet and, you know, help us out.
0: Who would? um, Those are going to be the choices. Who would be a dream website or set of websites to partner with like Amazon or you know what would be uh, what would be a That's dream for you guys to I partner don't think with? you're
1: ever gonna I don't think you're gonna partner with flash with uh, something like Amazon I just don't see that happening they' they're they're a, they're a um, not invented here kind of company I mean they're a great company they do great things mm. I, you know, I'm a customer of theirs love their service they have amazing customer service but they are a, you know, and we've, we've talked with the people there, and they, they're they good people, very smart. And, um, you know, they have, the thing they have is, and this is true of all the big companies, they all have the 48-state MTLs. So Amazon, Facebook, Google, Apple, um, these companies, they all have the 48-state licenses. And so they can do all this stuff. They can do anything that they want to because they already have the legal compliance. They have the licenses. Well, those licenses to get those cost around $10 million and takes between two and three years. And to put it in perspective, uh, Facebook, when they applied for the state of California, they got turned down the first time, Facebook. So you can see it's not an easy path to go on. And we think that there's going to be something changing in the next couple of weeks. As you can see, politically and um, business-wise, there are a lot of changes happening right now. And, um, you know, it depends on what happens in the next three weeks or whatever. But I think you're going to see an opportunity for people to have another path to get something that's the equivalent of these licenses that allows you to do this kind of business legally and it, with full compliance. And that is, you know, that's how that's where the money, I think, is going to be made.
0: Yeah, that's that's with the line of questioning. I wanted to take it now is um, you seem to have some unique and different insights on you know the cryptocurrency industry and blockchains right so you mentioned in the next few weeks you think that this is going to happen. What else do you think is coming uh, in 2017 for all the cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies? What do you see the big events happening and why?
1: well I think the the licensing aspect is a is a very big one. I think you could see um you know and it depends on a number of factors. I mean, the worst case scenario is, of course, you start to see things like blocking. And, you know, we've already seen this with people like their phone calls are being blocked. The emails are being blocked. And, you know, no one thinks that their Bitcoin can get blocked. It could happen. You know, I think, oh, yeah, I think Bitcoin is going to have to see. This is what we've learned from Unseen. You have to remember every router out on the Internet is that's what the Internet is. It's just a collection of routers. And these routers are owned by private companies, and they just have agreed to a protocol, which is TCP IP, and they route your packets. If I want to send a packet from my computer to yours, there is a routing path that it'll take, and it'll go through a series of you know, anywhere from to 25 different routers. Okay. So the, the question with that, what Snowden demonstrated, and we've actually seen this live happening, is that They can break into any router, and who's they? They's the security agencies and a variety of people who've now got this technology. Okay. And it's it's become widely available. So now what happens is people break into routers, and what they can do once they control a router, they can decide what the quality of service they want to assign for a particular user, a collection, a type of packet, the routers are very sophisticated Hmm. you know they can do all these things they can set the quality of service at 50% and so it drops 50% of your packets and next thing you know you're like wow why am I not getting a connection with XYZ website and the reason is simple it's uh, it's being dropped by this one router well you can do an MTR or a trace route and you can see right away oh look at this router it's dropping 50% of my packets okay so You know, if you call the ISP and say, okay, this router is doing this problem, they restart the router, and lo and behold, everything starts to work. But we've actually seen it uh, in in our, you know, traffic going to Iceland, which is attacked a lot because, you know, some people don't want you to have privacy and security. And what happened is we had one router, which is right next to our server, start to do this. So we called up the ISP in Iceland and said, hey, please restart this router or look at it. Right. When they restart it, it gets fixed, and then all of a sudden a router in Amsterdam has the same problem. Now, what are the mm-hmm. chances of two unrelated routers like that doing exactly the same thing within that time period to the same traffic
0: so what's what what could be the um the effect of this if it was magnified even worse?
1: Well, think about it this way. Phone calls, because once you can once you can go in and you can inspect packets, you do the packet inspection, you can decide what you want to do with all different kinds of traffic. You can copy it and send it somewhere else, mm-hmm. and that's actually been going on with email for, since at least 1997 that I know of, they've been collecting emails because it's basically on a public network and it's a free-for-all. Email's unencrypted, it's like a postcard, so you should assume that every email you've sent since 1997 is collected somewhere. Hmm. Okay, that's number one. So they can collect stuff. They can lower the quality of service to make people have a bad day and not want to use something. That's Hmm. I already talked about that. The third thing is they can just outright block it. And we've actually seen instances of this where websites, you just get a white page, and it's like, well, what happened here? And it's the equivalent of a man-in-the-middle attack. SSL, by the way, is basically worthless um, it's fully transparent. It's been that way since 1997. We've been told that by a lot of people. Really? And um, oh yeah, now SSL is. In, and the other tip I have for people is, if you're an older Bitcoin user and you have coins that are from the, you know, the early days where you might have used a wallet to generate a key that was on Windows, yeah. you should move those coins right away. Put them in a secure wallet and just move them because they are at risk that's a 24 bit problem. And as you know, 24 bit problems are not that hard to solve anymore.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So it's worth that's worth someone someone, you know, who's very smart pointed that out to us and you know, he actually wanted us to break into his bit wallet that he lost the key for. Uh, He had 3,200 Bitcoins in his wallet, which is now over $3 million. Wow. And uh, the first thing we said was, well, we don't know you that well, so how do we know you didn't steal this from somebody? Right. And then the second thing is, we just don't break into things. That's not our job. Our job is to help protect people. But we looked at this, and when he described a way to get into it, I'm like, I almost fell out of my chair. It was so easy and so straightforward. I'm not going to tell you on this on this podcast because yeah, yeah, I fine. want to help that's people fine. protect their things. So that's something they should definitely take a look at. And by the way, you know, I just heard that someone had moved like a thousand bitcoins from one of the early days. So I would highly recommend that everybody just move your coins and do it
0: ASAP. Well, that has, um, <laughs> I'm surprised that you say this, that has a lot of consequences for cleaning up, quote unquote, You know, if you can call it that, uh, lost wallets in the blockchain, if they're early ones. And what about uh, some of the earliest ones, the ones that supposedly Satoshi owned, you know? Could those be broken into?
1: I think they all probably fall into the same category. I mean, it's really, you know, the weakness in most of these schemes is the key generation. That's usually the place where people who are going to break into – unless they're going to human engineer some kind of an attack like what you're seeing happening right now with cell phones, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, uh, that's actually a huge problem. And, but it's really a problem. If you use any kind of SMS, Um, you know, things like Google authenticator are one step better. I wouldn't say they're ideal. Uh, You know, paper wallets are really the best, Mm. but you've got to do, the key generation has to be done, you know, in such a way that it's, you know, and the best is, of course, doing something offline right? and um, and then not because keep in mind, you know, time is one of the factors in key generation. You know, what they all do is they all grab a, you know, oh, here's the clock and it's so random. But, you know, if you're only using seconds instead of nanoseconds, you just took off, you know, a factor of 10 to the ninth. Right. Huh. Okay.
0: <laughs>
1: it's That's a hint. You know, and that's what that's what these that's how this thing is done. And all you have to do is you know run the program and guess the key, and you can you can run the program as many times as you want to. Yeah. And if it's a twenty-four bit problem, you're going to find the answer, you know, with the new high-speed computers in not that long.
0: Well, let me let me return to an earlier statement you made. You talked about uh, being blocked from your bitcoins, and you talked about routers. What uh, can you Speak a little more, more plainly about that. What what could happen, you think, with, say, technology? Someone has Bitcoin, they're just unable to move it or use it, or, uh, you know, a Bitcoin wallet uh, can't be used, or a network, or, you know, what, what did you mean by that?
1: Well, sure. So let's look at, let's just look at the way it works right now. So if I'm on a, first of all, if I'm on a cell phone and I'm using a, a bread wallet or some kind of wallet on my phone, mm. um. You know, those are the kind of things the 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 carriers can just decide one day to turn it off. Right. Okay? they can just turn it off. So you better have a plan B of make sure you keep the twelve words that are used to generate the, the key, and um, you know the seed and and save those somewhere because you may have to recover from something else. Okay, that's number one. Number two, um, if you look at how the 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 um, packets are sent for the bitcoin network it's on a certain port and it's a certain kind of pattern well these are all things that can be readily programmed into routers and you can do deep packet inspection and you know you have a chance if you're using a vpn and one that has you know either very strong ssl or preferably something that also has an ec component to it so if you can do that and you can get to some other place then you're probably okay. But that's, you know, you think about it. What is it that they do? They can target people because if you have, let's say you have a a node sitting at home and it's doing some mining or it's just running a node.
0: Right.
1: Well, ISP knows exactly who you are. They know who your connection is. They know exactly what you're doing because they're looking at all of your traffic and they're saying, oh, this person's running a Bitcoin node. Hmm. Well, guess what? If the ISP knows that, then who other which other bad guys know it? And you know, what I tell people is I said, look, get a VPN and have it, you know, out have the output go somewhere else besides your house. Because otherwise people are gonna come knocking at your door and, you know, they're gonna use what's called, you know, lead pipe decryption. And that is where they just hit you over the head and until you hand them the key.
0: <laughs> okay. Right? Right. Yeah, that's
1: lead pipe. Lead pipe decryption, and you know, and that actually is usually that's actually a, a weak link. So you've got to be very careful about this. And I mean, I've heard stories about people in San Francisco who've been uh, targeted for this kind of stuff. And I don't want to really? sound like you're know, paranoid. Well, yeah, it's been happening with um, people in San Francisco who have been uh, intentionally targeted. You know, people probably doing packet sniffing or. You know, you have to be very huh. careful. You you don't want to leave a big trail and you don't want people to know you know, it's like it's like carrying around a bag of money.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: You know, there are a lot of bad people out there who would who would do a lot of things that are not good to take your money. What, so you really have to be careful. I think we all have to up the game a little bit here.
0: What's been the threshold in which you've seen these um these attacks occur? You know, like a hundred bitcoin, a thousand bitcoin, nope. uh
1: it's down in the it's down in the fifties now, I mean you know think about it fifty bitcoins it's fifty thousand dollars yeah you know yep. that's it's just it's a time it's a time- time value of money kind of concept, which is you know if bitcoin's a thousand dollars, the number goes way down, maybe it's you know twenty bitcoins or ten bitcoins, and it just depends on what's required to get it um you know the attacks I've heard of from people I know pretty well have been well, they got into uh through my phone. Or they got into they hacked into one of the servers on a network here, and they somehow got into you know this thing and found the private keys huh. so it's really you know put in a key logger I mean all these kind of things are possible. What yeah. I highly recommend is that you know there's two things it's it's the concept of the air gap computer, and there are people out there who know a lot more about this than I do, but just my limited experience is you need an air gap computer because you need to be something off somewhere that is not connected to the internet. You want to send a coin. What you're going to do is you're going to sign it and put it on a USB stick and then put the USB stick somewhere else, and then that's what's going to get transmitted.
0: Mm.
1: So and that's really the that's that's the long and short of it. We One of the things we also do is the Faraday cage, and the thing you have to realize is that even some of the computers, if you buy a computer from Amazon, if you're on some kind of – either watch list or you know or whatever. What ends up happening is they replace the CPU with a special version of the CPU that has um uh it has um Wi Fi built into the CPU. Hmm. So you can remove the Wi Fi chip. We've actually seen this. We took the we take the Wi Fi chip out of all of our computers. So we took out the Wi Fi chip and the Wi Fi is still running and I'm like where the heck is the Wi Fi coming from and then the only possibility is it's coming from the CPU. Really? So we've heard about that, we've, we've seen that, we've also heard about 3G being built into the, the Intel CPUs. Now I don't think it's every CPU, I think it's a special version, but
0: hmm. if you order
1: something from Amazon and and you know, people know that you're a Bitcoin person, do not buy anything from Amazon because what they'll do is they have a special treatment area, they'll take your, your shipment, send it somewhere and put new chips in. Snowden actually talked about this. Yeah. They'll change it out, and then the next thing that happens is your computer is now, you know, compromised in that fashion. So yes. your best bet is go to someplace like Best Buy or have somebody else order it for you, have it delivered somewhere besides you, and then you know bring it in, test it, put it in a you know Faraday cage or some other kind of a, a controlled environment. Now, if you've got a remote cabin out in the woods that has no Wi-Fi. Um, you know, that's one way to do it.
0: It's crazy. Any, it's crazy. Um, any, any happier predictions for <laughs> for 2017?
1: Well, I think the happy <laughs> prediction, the happy prediction for Bitcoin is that the price is going to go way up. I think people ask me, you know, how high could the price go? And I don't make predictions, but I can yeah. definitely see how the price could, it could be $10,000. I mean, I think the next stop for Bitcoin is three thousand dollars, and as soon as it hits three thousand, it's going to go to five or ten. And the reason is because once it hits three, it has enough liquidity that the big guys in Wall Street will want to start trading it. Mm. As soon as those guys jump in, and you look at the hedge funds, how hard is it to make money in the stock market with high frequency trading? It's almost yeah. impossible
0: now. Well, I heard right? the, win- the so Winklevosses uh, we're gonna, we're trying to get an exchange traded fund. Uh, a bitcoin exchange traded fund live in the near future
1: yep well there are a number of people who actually already have these kind of licenses and all they have to do is get regulatory approval they won't have to get the licenses they'll just have to get the approval of the regulators for how they're going to manage the you know the private keys and how they're going to manage backing up the coin and then the rest of it just trades like everything else it's just you know, it's, it's not like the coins are moved or anything until there's some kind of redemption in or out of the system. Hmm. So the coins just sit there. But, but that's, you know, my guess is that you're going to see, once you see these kind of big guys show up, the volume is going to start going up. You're going to get a lot more stability. And essentially what's going to happen is there's going to be, it's going to be a proxy for the price of electricity. It's just a proxy for the mining price because that's the new issuance. And it'll just be a very stable thing. I mean, to me, Bitcoin actually, once they have, once that happens, and once people realize that you can do things with counterparty assets on the blockchain, that you now have the ability to have things that basically operate and function exactly like a Bitcoin, but that have some asset behind it. It Could be gold. It could be some other, some other function. Hmm. You know or maybe it's a it's, maybe it's a key that unlocks you know I don't know maybe a piece of real estate or something right if you think about how do you do things like Airbnb it's right. simple go on the blockchain and get your key. you got you know multiple multi-sig and you have a very clean and easy way to uh, to secure things. I mean that to me is the real value of Bitcoin Bitcoin what I always tell people is Bitcoin is too valuable to use for money. Hmm. It actually has so much value. It's a, the value of a of a public ledger with no repudiation, with this kind of security, and this kind of public transparency and visibility. I mean, how can you put a price on it? Yeah. Hmm. Once you start getting all these applications going, it's it's there's no stopping it. So, I mean, how much is Bitcoin going to be worth? I don't know. I can easily see $10,000. I can easily see... and that's just if you think about just you start adding more and more of these applications because if I'm doing a counterparty asset what does it cost give me an example the cost to generate the counterparty asset for the mega flash cost like four dollars worth of Bitcoin Hmm. okay so the price of Bitcoin was you know seven hundred or eight hundred dollars when we did it let's say it's eighty thousand dollars Right. So how much more would that cost? That's another hundred, a factor of a hundred. Okay. So it's going to cost 400 bucks instead of $4. And you're going to generate coins that can be used for all this value. It's a no brainer. So when you look at it that way, you can see that, that Bitcoin has huge amount of potential value. Now people are using it for payment rails. They're using it for all these different things. And you know what, and it, and, and it actually works, I would say better. Than the current banking system for some of these applications.
0: Right. Now, give
1: you an example. If you want to send a wire, we had to send a wire from our our um, payment attorney in Canada to a developer, and it turned out he was in the U.S. It took four days to send yeah. bitcoins, and it takes literally ten mm-hmm. minutes, and you know yep. the guy's got his bitcoins. Yeah. So it's like it's you, you know there are so many of these examples that where Bitcoin has this um, has this value that i think the applications will unlock so that's really that's why i'm very excited about this i'm very excited about crypto because it's really the internet 4.0 that's what it is and what's happened is the internet you know because we've gone through a number of different iterations here
0: right
1: what's happening is you know we went through internet 1.0 one the internet 2.0 I think this is Internet 4.0, which is where basically secure identity and payment is integrated seamlessly within the internet. It's really what we're talking about. And how big is that? It's immense. Everyone on the planet is going to use it.
0: Well, this is—it's um, <laughs> been a great interview. I just got—I guess I, I have one last question. Um, any major showstoppers or potential showstoppers to? Bitcoin to cryptocurrency to blockchain uh, that you see could, you know, the biggest threats, you know, one or two of them?
1: Well, I think the biggest threat is, um, you know, there are two, two potential threats. One is technological and the other is legal and regulatory. And the first part is I know it's solvable. There are so many smart people in the Bitcoin community. They'll find a way to solve the problem. They mm-hmm. will. And they'll find a way, you know, the governance is lot in some regards with Bitcoin, but it's probably good enough, and that's all it has to do. It just has to be good enough, and once enough people have enough value, they'll vote with their with their Bitcoins. Right. So that part of it, you know, <clears throat> the other threat is the regulatory threat, which is where someone says, well, we don't like it because it's, you know, it's going to have to fall under all these regulations and everything. They could very well do that. They could say that. It could happen tomorrow. You don't know. And in which case, the big issue with Bitcoin is, of course, the anti-money laundering and the know your customer. Those are requirements for banks. You go talk to a bank, I've talked to dozens or hundreds of banks, they all say the same thing. It's how is this legal? Because the bank would look at this like, well, we have to do all these things. Why doesn't Bitcoin? And the the fact of the matter is that the regulators, you're not dealing with the law. You're dealing with the regulation. Okay, they're two different things. And you're also looking at, you know, what's legal and what's lawful. There's a distinction there.
0: Hmm. So what's
1: legal is something that's codified by the law. So the law says it's legal to do this because this law says so. Right. Okay. Something that's lawful, there's no law against it. Now, Bitcoin is kind of in this gray area right now. And it's, it's the reason why they, they couldn't. Put their hands around it because there's no one to go strangle, right? Because mm-hmm. it's completely decentralized. Right. They've decided that the mining is okay. They've decided that owning it is okay, mm-hmm. but they may very well do like look at what they did in India.
0: You know, it was yeah, legal to yeah. own
1: a a thousand rupee a note until about uh, December thirtieth, right? And then you had to turn it in, and I don't know if you were, if you were Indian living in the U.S. and you had some of these notes, I think you were just out of luck.
0: Yeah, um, I, I heard the, the timeline point. was shorter for people in country as to out of country. Out of country, I think they had uh, you know several weeks, but in country, I think the timeline was much shorter. But I'm not sure.
1: And it just oh, it's just I think they shot themselves in the foot, but you know apparently they don't care. Yeah,
0: They're they don't. just
1: looking at this like, well, these people are cheating on their taxes and whatnot but the reality is that you know you have an economy and you know it used to be in the US the, the underground economy was around 30% that much of the economy and you know when the when everything hit the skids and the economy was doing badly you know that was the one thing that kept things going hmm. so you know if you bring everything onto the grid and micro account for every penny you know you probably have you're probably going to just strangle the economy then that's, what, that's what's happening in India right now. So, you know, I'm not saying people should do legal, illegal things. They should always pay their taxes. They should follow every law. Right. They should do the best they can to do that. But on the other hand, if someone's going to take away this their private property, you know, that is – what it does is it shows people – that, to me, shows the value of Bitcoin.
0: Hmm. Because
1: it's cryptographic. No one can take it away from you. If you have the key, you can have the coin. Right. So it's really about freedom.
0: What do you think – how could regulation appear that could kill cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin? What do you think it would look like? This is the last speculation i ask you to make, but what do you think could happen that that literally would be a killer?
1: Well, conceptually, there are two places. If you're a regulator, there are two places – you have to be looking at that are basically choke points. One is the wallet and the other is the blockchain processing, which is the mining. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a miner, you can decide I'm not accepting this transaction. For whatever reason, you say, I'm not accepting this transaction. Well, what happens if you look at this and you say, you know, 30% of the miners are in Iceland, you know, some percentage are in China, some percentage are in this other place if you get more than 51 percent of those miners that are under control of some domicile or a combination of domiciles
0: so in other words
1: all you have to do is go to iceland the u.s eu and china and maybe japan and you can say you know if you're a miner you're going to have to block these these bitcoin addresses because we think these are bad people Hmm. well guess what how hard is it going to be to move your bitcoins if 70% of the miners will not approve your transaction. Yeah. That's one. Okay. The other is, and this, I just, you know, these are the kind of things I lose sleep over. And then the other one is, you know, and because there are ways around it, of course, it's an attack and a counterattack. Then the next thing is wallets. And you know, as long as people can just get source code and compile their own wallet and do that, they can do pretty much anything they want to.
0: Right
1: the platform of doing it on a cell phone is highly controlled. So whether it's Android, um, iOS, you know, whatever the cell phone carrier, it can be done by the carrier. It can be done by the, um, by the play store, right. In the case of Google,
0: Mm. and
1: they can just block it and say, you can't have your wallet here because it doesn't conform. And the reason it doesn't conform is because it doesn't report and doesn't have KYC.
0: Mm. They
1: could do that. (laughs) So that's, you know, we've lived in this free-range land, which is which is great. It's an amazing place and an amazing time. And I know every one of your listeners will look back on this at fondly with a lot of really good memories. And what I'm hoping is that people think about that in the future of this is what the future could be. The future could be very bright, could be good people helping each other, which is really what the Bitcoin community and the crypto coin community is all about. And it's not necessarily about, although we have started, you know, when the money comes, people, you start attracting the crooks because they see that they can steal something that's of value. value.
0: Right.
1: So it's not the same as it used to be. But it's still, it's, you know, there is still something really, really good to say about this. So, you know, when I look at this, I say, well, yeah, the regulators could come and they could do a bunch of these things. But the reality is that at some point, there are certain things are just not going to care about regulating because it's not worth their time. And I think, as long as people you know you look at something like Monero, I would keep my eye on that because I think that has great potential. I think they may have solved some of the issues that Bitcoin has in terms of privacy
0: okay.
1: um, The Bitcoin blockchain is not nearly as um as private as people think. I don't think it's quite as secure as people think. I think it's good enough for right now. I think it's doing a great job, mm-hmm. but we have to look at the future and say, you know where, where should we lose sleep? Where should we, where should we be thinking about to you know, protect people and uh, make sure that they are private and secure? And that's the, that's the real, you know, the nub of the whole thing. And you start getting these things like people talking about, oh, terrorists use this or that, whatever. I've never seen an actual case where terrorists use bitcoins.
0: I think just now, unless the, you count- that's always the excuse, though, for, any, for all kinds of regulation. You know, it's for your protection. Is the moniker it doesn't matter well to protect and to protect you
1: know. and to protect, the, pr- protect the children right
0: right, and I think it's that's just used by a lot of people regulators, governments et cetera, to do whatever they want, you know there's always the the hidden threat of that they say, so of course, yeah, you know. yeah, that's right, okay, well, I don't want to talk you to death here. you've got a lot to say. it has been a great interview, and uh yeah. you know. <laughs> I really appreciate your time, Chris. It's been uh, very informative, you know.
1: Uh, you bet, Richard. Very happy to uh, be here with your listeners.
0: Yeah, last thing is so, um, again, let's repeat how do people get involved and learn about Flashcoin and uh, maybe get a wallet, you know, participate in the crowdfunding, the crowd sale, uh, all those things?
1: Yeah, the best place to go is flashcoin.io. And that's the website. It's got all the information. It's got information about the crowd sale. It's got information about Flash. Some of the use cases. Uh, The white paper is there. I mean, there's a lot of information that's that's right on that website. It's it's actually a pretty good website. I'm, I'm, you know, the guys who are guys who did it did a great job, and uh, they put a lot of time into it. Um, You know, that if you want to participate in the crowd sale, that's at Bitrex. B-I-T-T-R-E-X. dot com. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, those guys, we are up to about 52 coins. The minimum to close is 200 and I've got a couple of whales that I'm about to jump on the phone with right now. So I think we're going to, uh, we're going to get the thing off the ground and, um, it's going to be exciting. So I think there's a lot of uh, potential here. Um, my advice is don't look at this, you know, our, the way we're looking at the crowd sale is we're not trying to just create an immediate, you know, moonshot you know, pop the price kind of thing. We're trying to create value. We're trying to, um, you know, in an ideal world, everybody makes money and everybody gets, you know, utility out of the coin. That's actually the main goal right now.
0: And, um,
1: you know, anyone who supports it, we, we deeply appreciate that. We've got a a community that we're in the process of building. And, um, you know, I think that a a coin that has this kind of, of uh, properties of, and utility so that you can, Complete transactions in under two seconds. Uh, that you have this very simple to use web wallet that can be integrated into uh, you know websites with an API. It's I think it's pretty powerful. And you know there are a lot of your listeners who have ideas for you know use cases that require this type of thing. And we would encourage them to you know contact me, Chris at Flashcoin.io. Uh, okay. You can contact support at Flashcoin.io, and We'd love to talk to you.
0: All right. That's great. Chris, I appreciate it. This has been, again, an excellent interview. Thank you so much for your time.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me, Richard. Take
0: care. Okay. Take care. Bye. You have been listening to Almost Here, around the corner future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review, to discover more future technologies,